Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. All right, people, welcome to the Orange is a New Black podcast. Uh, me, Ace Boogie, my man, Zim, who they Zim. How you feeling tonight? Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. Those with ambitious, out-of-reach ideas begging to become real solutions. They share a vision for how our world and our lives can thrive when bold thinking meets strong silicon. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy through the power of supercomputing. They dream of trust and privacy for all, of advancing and expanding education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to build something better, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. I'm feeling like I just had a tie on a game that, like, that's three straight weeks where we just sitting there saying, like, I I don't know, last week maybe not as much, but I mean, all three games, they, they all had it, they all had the opportunities, and here we are. 0 2 and 1, right? 0 2 and 1. Uh, Definitely frustrating. Uh, definitely, I think, like you said, like given there's still that that same taste in your mouth of another one that essentially kind of slipped away or another one that kind of uh, got away from us. I think that that's what this really signifies in terms of the frustration from the fan base, because as I talked about earlier, these games were winnable, like all three of them. But this one. And I think, you know, tapping into your live, I think that that really helped put some more in the perspective. Like the Philadelphia Eagles literally like had like nobody and no one, no one. And we tied with them and like literally only tied with them because of a self-inflicted penalty on their own drive. So I, I don't know, man, I'm kind of to me, I think it just comes down to the coaching staff. Because, you know, some people can say offensive line, and that's that's valid, right? Eight sacks given up today. But who was in charge of putting the offensive line together, right? Like, even after Marvin left, the first thing that the man said when they interviewed him was, they got to fix that offensive line. You know, they tried to. I'm not taking anything away from them. You know, they made trades, Cordy Glenn, all kind of stuff there. But none of it has worked. But they really went into – this offseason really selling us on this coaching staff is higher on this offensive line 
than the casual fan or the average friend. You guys don't know anything because you're just fans. We're coaches. This is what we do. We think Billy Price is, is serviceable. We think Xavier Suofilo is the answer. We think these guys can do good enough, do well enough, right? And if they were involved in that process in terms of, you know, I can't really speak on it because I don't know, right? Like they could be saying that in the media just as lip service. It could be that the Bengals front office is saying, hey, we're not going to spend any more on offensive line because we've done that and it hasn't worked. I don't know, but they gave it to us as we're confident in the guys that are in this room enough to not sign one in free agency and not draft one before the sixth round. And I kind of feel like a broken record, but that's what they told us. That's their words, not ours. Um, So for me, I think it's just, I think it's bad coaching. I think it's a combination of bad uh, players on the offensive line in a bad scheme because the run game again seems non-existent like it was last year like this is these are the same reoccurring issues that we've kind of seen uh, but I'll be quiet for a second and let you just get your thoughts off on it now nah, you're fine man I really like I mean I, I think I yelled so much through uh, <laughs> if you guys don't know I know y'all on New Strike City I, I do a live stream during the game uh, I know Ace does like a live chat I do this live stream and I mean like I'm completely like worn out just from like the energy that I exerted <laughs> I'm pretty I'm not I'm not playing football so I don't want to make it seem like that but I'm right. just so I'm just like mentally worn out it's so many, like, I feel like every week, I know, like, when you lose, that's when, like, I always say that, like, when you lose, everything is under the microscope. Even if we won that game, there were so many different points. I just, my page filled up with all of the different times that I'm just like, that's the difference between winning and losing. The same thing, like, every time before we go into halftime, they, like, give up points, which is a sign of a bad team. Every time it's a close game, it's a loss. In this case, it's a tie, which is a sign of a bad team. Whereas now, yeah, the record indicates it and everything like that. Like the talent is there, but the cohesion is not there. And and it's the it's it's a bad team because the Eagles playing like you 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 kind of hit right on it too. It's like the Eagles playing with really no one. You know, like now part of that is when Darius Slay goes out and then their other top corners are already out they then come back and run the football. Like, that was that was a point in a game that I was just looking like, just kill him. Like, Tyler Boyd was eating dude alive. Like, everybody was eating. Like, even the Higgins plays that didn't work out, it's like, just do it again. And I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's just some stuff that blatantly jumps off the screen, like, for me. And But I, I feel like I'm saying that every week now, and that's when you know, like, your team just really isn't that good. Mm-hmm. Because they, they – there's no way that they should have lost that game. Up seven, the two pass interference calls on that one drive were were crucial, killer. Right. Like, I mean, if Darius Phillips didn't commit that penalty, it's probably a t- it could possibly be a touchdown. So I'm not, I mean, at you know, like an earlier touchdown, they eventually got it right, but right. I mean, and then the Joe Burrow thing, like the easy way out is going to say the offensive line. He does. He clearly doesn't feel comfortable. But when he does feel comfortable, he can, he absolutely slaughters like he is. He is everything that I thought he would be. Plus more like the accuracy in the first like in the first half of the game to only have like the 10 or 16 points or whatever the hell they had to only have that. It just lets me like people around him are feeling him because he was throwing so many darts like. Early in that game, even when they had to go and punt, 
like they're putting him in a position where he has to throw the hardest passes known to man. Like nothing is schemed up where anybody is running free anywhere. Like the right. first half of the game, the, like the darts he had to throw just to make, just to put ten on the board. Like I'm not just being on Joe's scrotum by saying that. Like he threw three elite level throws. Like if PFF had the highlight throws, he threw three elite throws that only four or five quarterbacks in the NFL could throw. And then he goes to the second half and does the same thing. And then it's just like I said, it's like really frustrating. Like even on the on, I thought the the game is over when it's 2016 and Geo converts to third and 15. Mm -hmm. Any staff like at that point, like you got them by the balls. Game is over. Like any any game is over. Like right. how that game, like how they even the Eagles had the ball back and were in a driving position as they were driving down the field. I just was saying in my life, like, I can't like, is this real? Like they're really about to tie this <laughs> game up. Like I didn't even like I could I could not wrap my mind around the fact that like we were up so definitively just the same way we had a stranglehold on the game in the Chargers game. And 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 there you go again. Like you put yourself right. in a in a position with bad play calling. Not giving him mixing any like on the on the plays where mixing it's time for him to go ahead and take over the game. It's a defender in the backfield every time. Like every right. single time, it's a 32. Any anytime that they give him the ball and 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 he could easily just go ahead and put the team on his shoulders, close the thing out. He can't on first first or second down. It's a man right there in his face, and he's got to spin out, back out, jump out, do do a cartwheel to get to the line of scrimmage every single right. time. And the thing that I was telling um, people uh, before the game is, like, Joe Mixon has to be special. If you're going to pay him $12 million, like, you would just be looking at, like, Devontae Freeman or somebody like that mm-hmm. if and then go get the guard or whoever. It, like, that's that, this is in hindsight now because you right. don't have the same opportunities that you did when, when the guys were out there or the trades were there to be made. But if you're going to pay Joe Mixon $12 million – He's got to be special every week. Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, special every week. But you got to put him in a position to do so. And we don't have the coaching in place to do that. The only other notes that I have is I have two different players. You mentioned uh, Zach Taylor a couple weeks ago. You mentioned the coaching this week. There are two players right now that I feel we at any point in this in this uh, live, I want people to stick around, that the Bengals have to go make a play for. If Xavier Sulafil isn't even coming back, like within the next week or two, and even if he is coming back, I have a solution that, and I'm never like this. This is not on some Madden shit. Like they gotta go get. There's two guys that I'm looking at right now that mm-hmm. they gotta go get. Period. Gabe Jackson for the Raiders, and the other guy for the Titans, uh, who is to be had too, uh, Ty Sambrello. Those are the two guys that grade out very well. Both of their teams had them on the trade block in the offseason. Things are still dicey on both of those situations. But to me, if Jim Turner thinks that he wants to stay around, which he shouldn't, he should be gone. If Zach Taylor has any aspirations of being his coach, they have to go make a play for that. And I'm talking like extreme play, like Ross in a second-round pick, something catastrophic that the league pro- that, that doesn't ever do. And that's the only way you can save this season save anything with it because the line play is super super shaky eight sacks i i, I pinned three or four of those on joe Burrow. you're going to get that when he's trying to extend plays i went for like eight right. minutes just now i'm sorry 
I just nah, had to good. say that's Yeah, I mean I think for me it's just I, I don't know, man. It's like we can sit here and talk about the Bengals are a, a good team. I when I look at the 0 and 3 teams, right? And I'm I'm still taking this loss or this tie as as a loss, right? I look at these teams, Atlanta. I think is in a similar situation where they have a lot of talent on their team and they're far, far failing to, you know, meet that threshold. They've had games that they've choked at the end as well. A lot of people, when you look at that situation, they point to the coaching staff. Like I was, I was in a, in a chat earlier with some of my friends and like a lot of them, um, they kind of go back and forth, but like one of them was never sold on Zach Taylor. Another one was, kind of optimistic to begin with, but like once we started struggling, he was just like, we're trash and this and that. And that brings me to the next point. Like when you compare the Bengals and I try not to be biased because I, and maybe it might be that I'm a fan, correct me if I'm wrong. But when I look around the league, like Zim said, you look at these other teams out there, you cannot tell me that we're as bad as the New York Giants, as the New York Jets, as the Denver Broncos now with Jeff Driscoll at their quarterback position. You know, as a Philadelphia that we saw today, like, right, and that's no right. shot at Philadelphia, but they're clearly not the like Carson Wentz looked horrible. Like, they don't look like the same Philadelphia team. Uh, right. You know, maybe Minnesota, like Minnesota showed some signs of life, but uh, when I look at those teams, I just look at those teams are are teams that are trash, right? And when you look at some of the other teams that are out there, uh, such as the Jacksonvilles, the Miamis, the Detroits, you know. Where do we stack up against those guys? I feel like technically, you know, and I think everyone else in here would agree, we probably should assume that we would be better than those teams, like especially with a Joe Burrow, a more solid quarterback, you know, especially with more weapons in some instances than those offenses. And at the certain phases that they're at, which some people are calling this a rebuild, is to me it's almost kind of like a soft rebuild a little bit because – we kept some of our marquee players, AJ, Gino, those guys. So we didn't go full rebuild like what's going on in Miami where it's just like we're gutting everything and starting right back over. But like the more and more the weeks start to pass, the more and more maybe I need to realize that with this coaching staff, maybe this is a team that's not as good as I thought that they would be. Like I honestly feel like they're holding the team back and it's just – you know, because of them, like I like I made like the point I made earlier is if Andy Reid is here, I don't oh. think that this team Man, like we might be two and one, we might be three and zero oh with Andy Reid, right? Just based off of some of the things that have happened, like and you know the coaching staff thing, like that first play right before half when uh, the Philadelphia Eagles score at the end, right? Like. Even the broadcaster was confused. He was like, they're showing man, but they're playing his own. Like, who who called that? And it's like, okay, was it a blown assignment? Was it just a stupid scheme to begin with? And, and that happened a bunch of times in the Browns game. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that we actually also saw that last season as well, early on, where guys would just run wide open. And it's like, what what what's going on? Um, when I was in the stream earlier, someone said something that really stuck out to me. Uh, appreciate uh, Jeff on the 299 donation, Huday brother. Uh, but something that really stuck out to me was someone said that they feel like our coaching staff 
tries to force their schemes on these players instead of creating a scheme that works with those players' strengths. And I thought that that was interesting because when Zach drafted Joe Burrow, he was like, all right, I'm going to throw in some LSU plays to make sure that Burrow is comfortable. But why aren't they? And I'm not saying this verbatim that they aren't, but it would seem that you would apply that logic to your players. Like we've all talked about Joe Mixon. Why isn't he more involved in the passing game like an Alvin Kamara? Like, why doesn't that happen? Why did Drew Sample have seven targets last or seven catches on nine targets last week? you know, for a solid game. And then this week he's only targeted once. Like certain things just don't make sense to me. Why does AJ Green only have one target in the first half? Like a lot of this stuff, I don't know if it's that Zach is in over his head that he's overthinking this game plan going in, uh, that he wants to pivot things. I don't know if it's from that first season that we've had him. He's just overanalyzing every single game. And as a result of that, he's being outcoached by other coaches. Zim? Man, it's always like at like key spots. Like I just feel like I don't know. I feel like their voice. Like I feel like Zach's voice is now starting to go into that. It's got to be going old to some of the players a little bit. From if you're talking about from last year to this year, and in key spots, he's not dialing up like what they need. You know, to take them over the top. Uh, I re- I'll never forget when Joe Mixon when Frank Pollock left. Right. Joe Mixon mm-hmm. put out a tweet, but I think he deleted it. And he said, how y'all going to get rid of the best offensive line coach in all of football? Right. Like, I, and I never forget that. I also never forget, I, I talk about this like once a month, when Marvin Lewis first left, the only thing that he said when he went on ESPN is they got to fix the line. Right. And I think a lot of people like me are just guns out of blazing, just thinking like we got all these weapons, like it's going to happen. But like – the, when you talked about those teams that were 0-3 and stuff like that, or you're talking about teams that are currently winning, like like a Tennessee Titans, right, that don't score a lot of touches, the, the biggest difference, it goes, against, it goes against everything that I ever philosophized. And I'm, and I'm man enough to say that, is that all of those teams that have these wins that they win very close, they win big in the trenches. And... It, trench play is, is is clearly our Achilles heel in the run game or the pass game. On, on offense and defense, it suffers. And <laughs> What's up, Uzi? <laughs> Uzi in the live tonight. Go go get the ice cream. All right, good, good. All right, so, but it suffers through, and it, it just carries over to everything. Joe right. never feels comfortable in the pocket. When he does feel comfortable, he goes crazy. On the defensive end, Every time, like even just starting off that game, like Miles Sanders is blowing, blowing through the biggest holes you've ever seen in your life. You know right. what I'm saying? Like at the very beginning of the game, setting the tone. So right. that happens at the very beginning of the game. And then and then they kind of shorted up a little bit. I'm really happy with the linebacker plays. I'm so happy for game Davis Gaither showing you, you know, what he could do in coverage with, with running backs on the wheel route, the one that he had Miles Sanders in a crucial third down situation. I'm so happy for Logan. Get that man some ice cream. He broke it. All right, well, go get that. Get out of here. Listen, I'm doing a show. This is live. All right, so that, but I'm happy for some of those things like that. But up front, the big boys are just losing on both sides of the football. And I don't know how much of that is the blame on coaching because there is a lot of plays. If you just rewind that game, there's a lot of sacks that could have been where Lawson takes down. Uh, went, there's a lot of plays where they're scrambling and guys are right there to make it where they're just not completing 
uh, some of these some of these plays. You know what I'm saying? And right. I don't know how much of that falls on coaching. I do think from a play calling standpoint, there's just not even talking X and O's. Like I said, like Darius Slate going out, attack them. Like stop treating Joe Burrow. Now, now you're in desperation mode a little bit to me. Where stop mm-hmm. treating Joe Burrow like he's some little kid with training wheels in key clutch situations and you got a seven-point lead. Like right. Russell Wilson and them don't take the foot off the gas. Like they're going to keep that thing cranking. And Darius right. Slay goes off the field, like attack them. You know, he was so accurate all day. He never was not accurate. All the plays that got broken up later on in the, in the second half, like it's just such a joy to watch an elite quarterback play at this level to take those hits and still stand up and do his thing. And um, I just think the offensive line is just going to be the biggest Achilles heel. And I never thought it would hurt us this bad where it's just like no way to offset it, even with uh, elite quarterback play. Like that's the first time I think I'm just like conceding and just saying like the quarterback can't solve this. And even, and even with the eight sacks, like mm-hmm. I said, three or, three or four of those are on Joe, for real. But I'll take that every game because the elite quarterbacks, they improvise, and that's what they do. But he just doesn't feel comfortable. They don't open up any holes for the running game. Just by them running in that game, if they had the ability to run in that game at any point in that game, that's a dub. Mm-hmm. That's a dub, like easy. But they just never had any any part of the run game. So what it does is it makes the defense not be honest at all. They could play for the pass. They play all that underneath stuff. Joe's going to mm-hmm. average seven yards throwing every single game. Like everything is super predictable from that standpoint because the running game never gets, it never gets going. When they, when they, when they try to go and make an extension of the run game and throw it to Geo, they have minimal success. And when they do try to do screen, whether it's a wide receiver screen or a running back screen, Play calling is terrible. They had one screen today, and it's the first screen that was successful in, a, in play design and where the defense actually believed that they could pursue, like, the quarterback. In every other screen that they've ever done this whole entire season, the defensive end always goes right to the running back because they're all – they're the signal the, – the, the, the foot placement of the offensive lineman, the scheme, the way that they're running it, is stuff that they're seeing on tape that nobody's fooled. And, and nobody's fooled by anything that we're doing from a play calling standpoint. The 20-something points we put on the board, the 30 points we put on the board last week is all Joe, for real. If it wasn't Joe Burrow, we would be the Jets. We would be right. the Giants. We really, we absolutely would be those teams. The only difference is Joe Burrow. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, like you said, the only difference is, is definitely Joe and – I just I don't know, man. Like it's just these games are like weird. Like I don't know whether it's that the Bengals aren't using metrics. We're I mean we're not coaches. I can't tell you guys what the answers to some of these strange things are. I think like even watching the game, I heard an announcer say, you know, last week the Rams ran a whole bunch of stack and the Eagles couldn't you do anything about it. The Bengals have run it several times a day. They haven't been able to do anything, but for some reason the Bengals aren't running a stack. And it's just like like things like that just kind of like make me feel like they're trying to – Zach Taylor is just trying to outthink the situation. If the Rams killed them with the three stack last week, 
runs three stack until like their brains blow out. Like, why aren't you using that more in the game? Like, I think sometimes they just overthink it. Like I said earlier, but that's what, what gets us the results that we get today. To me, it's really like a loss to me. It's, it's frustrating uh, because we look at this team and I don't think it's like too many of our people are saying like, Oh, we're amazing. But like Tyler Boyd, you know, great today. You talk about T. Higgins, great today. A.J. Green didn't have a great game, but when targeted, caught it. Like Joe Mixon, everybody thinks he's great. And this team goes out and only puts up 23 points. It just doesn't, like, make it make sense to me. Like, I don't think, like, those are players that people outside of being Bengals fans know about. Like, people know who T. Higgins is. People know who Tyler Boyd is. Like, people who play fantasy football know that the Bengals have weapons. And, like, even when I come across people that aren't Bengals fans, and you can tell they aren't, but for some reason they have this perception, and I think that it's from the early on or the early 2010s, they think that we have a good defense. They're like, the Bengals always have a good defense. So that means that they know about Geno Atkins. That means that they know about Carlos Dunlap. They know about these players, but the performance that we get from the roster that we have just doesn't, doesn't mesh and doesn't come together. And, you know, I don't know if it's solely the offensive line because obviously there's eight sacks there, or if it's, I don't know what it is. Like they're going to have to figure it out. It's not up for us to really figure this out. It's up to this coaching staff and Zach Taylor to really figure it out. And they got a game coming up this week in Jacksonville, which we will start to preview, but I'm not going into this game confident. Like they couldn't even really get a win against the Philadelphia Eagles who are struggling now. Like Gardner Minshew may play better. And if we don't have the right calls to be there or we don't have the right game plan and we can't even do what Miami just did, oh, we're going to be in for a long season. And if that's the case, they're not going to fire Zach. I'm just going to tell you guys that right now. And I know this only is the third game. They're not going to fire him. But I think when it gets to the end of the season, depending on how many games this team wins, oh, it's going to be something considered. Like if this isn't like they went out and got Joe Burrow, they went out and spent in free agency, they trusted this staff, they built them new offices and all kind of stuff. If it's not working, they're going to have to move on and we're going to have to start looking at who could be the next coach of the Cincinnati Bengals if this thing doesn't turn around? It's a realistic possibility because when you look at the rest of the schedule coming up, we haven't even really gotten into the tough stretches yet, people. Like after the Jaguars, we got to take on the Ravens. We have to take on the Browns again, who just beat us, the Titans, the Steelers. Like there's some games in there that I'm looking at, Cowboys, that – those might be L's. And there's games that I looked at in the beginning of the season where I was like, we got to win that game. We can't lose that game. Games like that that are coming up where this coaching staff can't hold us back, the Colts game, the Washington Redskins game, the Giants game, the Dolphins game, like we can't, the Jacksonville game, we can't lose those games. But if we do, oh, this is to me, just in my honest opinion, this staff has to go because it'll be clear and evident at that point, that we need to get the next person that will come in um, to guide this team to where it needs to be. Because there were people bringing up Marvin Lewis today, 
And I'm not here to say that we shouldn't have fired Marvin Lewis. That was the right thing. I'm not here to say that we shouldn't have moved on from Andy Dalton because that was the right thing. Um, I think giving Zach Taylor a chance was the right thing. But if you see that it's not working out, it's time to move on. Zim? I'm with you, man. Like, I'm just <laughs> like, I'm, I'm yeah, just the like, energy is gone. Like, me and him both, like, we had so much energy. Probably if you go back to the first two games, we had so much energy. But, like, when you see what happened today, it's just like, all right, all right, maybe I need to chill off of, you know, seven and nine, eight and eight. I don't, I don't know where this is going at this point. And right. I don't think that it's up for us to say where it's going. We have to let the team speak. One thing I will say is, I think the players are doing the best that they can. And I don't think that it's anything against the players from my perspective. I can't speak for them. That's just my opinion. Um, I think that you can have the best players or you can have average players, but what it really comes down to outside of also having a great quarterback, which we have, we've got that piece of it, but it's that relationship with the quarterback and that head coach. And that head coach has to be someone that's willing to go toe-to-toe with the Mike Tomlins, that's willing to go toe-to-toe with, you know, the Dallas Cowboys coach, the dude from, from Green Bay. He's got to be able to get in there and outdo them. And you also talk about he's going against that Ravens coach. Like, these are experienced coaches, bro. Like, you got to you gotta bring something to the table. You can't let these guys outsmart you, outdo you. And in this instance, that's what's being done, frankly, honestly, like, we being out coached, in my opinion. So the players are doing what they can. But go ahead, Zim. I, I mean, I believe that we're getting out coached for sure. For sure. Like there's nothing about our coaching staff that's doing anything to win a game. And part of going two and fourteen and having a guy try, like I like mm-hmm. to think that they tank, but having them try lets me know like in big situations or big games, like you're not going to pull those things out. Like that was part of like two and 14. I was a little worried about, but I'm, right. I was just banking on the talent, but now being Oh, two and one, just seeing them, the players, although it, they're all brand, they're, they're pr- primarily like brand new players. There's right. a little bit of this angst, like that Bengals angst that's in them. Um, you know, like when, you know, like when it's a little different, like when in years past, if if it was a close game, I felt like the players almost counted themselves out because they knew that Dalton wasn't going to win it. The difference is now, like, they'll have like a small lead, mm-hmm. uh, be very close or whatever like that. But they do something like in a big moment that, that a good team would do like mm-hmm. a good team would do like, like Lawson early in that, in that game has the power to change the whole entire game. Sam Hubbard has the power to change the whole entire game to flip the field position, get Wentz off the field. Like Wentz ends up with like 70, 80 yards. Like they don't make those sacks early on. And then what an average or above average team or a really good team does is they capitalize on it. Every time that we get a turnover or interception, if you look at it, like when Baker Mayfield made the one interception last week, they didn't do anything to capitalize on it. When uh, Wentz makes the interception or whatever this week, I think all we got off of was a field goal. Like every time that we're about to go to half and we have a lead or we have the chance to just make it a, a whatever, it's like players not making plays at those spots. 
And I don't know if that's, you know, like coaching, like part of the part of it is coaching, but part of it's like a bit of communication, cohesion type thing, like where they're just giving up an easy touchdown right before the half again this week on a miscommunication where players should know like what was called. And I don't know if that's a, a problem with the coaches communicating what should be called at that spot. But right. good teams just don't let that happen. So there's so many little small things that I could point out throughout the course of a game, like a like a, a missed block, or or you could say, okay, well, why do you have sample over there trying to take on, you know, sweat early on in the game, or even later in the game, they had sample all to the right against um going up against um Graham and the other dude, uh Barnett. Mm-hmm. There was it's it's a couple of things that like good coaches would know you can't do, but then players are playing like really tight when they don't have to and they have like a lead or the game's within distance and you know you got number nine, they're they're not quitting. They're playing really hard. I feel like everything that I'm saying is everything that I said last year when we were 2-14. and 14. There's nothing about this team that's elite, though. Like, right. even from a wide receiver position, yeah. Before the season started, I'm thinking top three wide receiver group in the, in the National Football League. Watching them not get separation – it could be the routes that have been called or whatever. Like mm-hmm. Tyler Boyd is the only one that absolutely just terrorized anybody in all of these games. All, every game, Tyler Boyd is the he is the best wide receiver. Period. Right? right. But all the other guys around him, like when T. Higgins has to make that play right there two different mm-hmm. times in the game, he's not, and he's a rookie. But in my mind, Higgins is already like good enough to make that play. But he's not making that play. AJ Green is blanketed, no separation in two games straight. Not, you know, what I'm saying had a pretty good game, you know, like whatever. And at some point, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, that's not Russ. You know, like a lot of people will go to coaching all the way. Like, there's plays to be made at crucial spots in these games, and they never make them. Like when they do make them, they failure of the offensive line when they do get the ball back they never have like the lanes to do what they need to do and I just don't think they're a good team you know like I feel like they're a a 5 and 11 team of you know like that that ballpark range because the defense is average like they're average they're good enough to win to take you to the playoffs you could be eight, seven, and one and go to the playoffs with them as, as the number seven seed with that defense and be scary as fuck nobody will want to play us uh the 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 offense is below average the play calling is below average mixing is playing below average everybody's playing below average so by the time i get to coaching i'm like yeah the coaching isn't even going to help us either but there's nothing about the team where people are making like some big plays like even drew sample like a lot of people like drew sample he looks slow as fuck like there's nothing mm-hmm. about his game like watching him versus <laughs> watching him versus CJ Uzama, like watching like tight ends win a lot, like watching Zach Ertz, watching Goddard, uh, watching watching e- elite uh tight ends in this league. He mm-hmm. is slow as hell. Like he's yeah. like even in the in the game last week when he had all those catches, go look at those catches. The yards after the catch with the spacing that was there, he looked very slow. And I'm not the only person that said that. He's not right. that no, he's not he's, he's not what people want him to be. He's not that. And, and as much as people like want to take up for him, whatever, he's not that. Mm-hmm. Our backup quarterback is terrible as hell. So, you know, there are some some spots on this team where we know, like Carlos Dunlap is just not as good as he was. 
when Gino comes back, he's not as good as he was. Mike Daniels, I didn't call his name once. He might not be as good as he was. There's a lot of players that just are not as good as they was. And, 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 and then when you rely on coaching for people like Logan Wilson and King Davis Gaither and some of the newer guys, you're not going to get that. Mm-hmm. So at this point down, I'm like, okay, yeah, the coaching's not elite. Give me an elite coach. I'll probably go eight, seven, and one, right? But mm-hmm. with below average coaching, that's five and 11. Nah, that's real. I think um, I think what it comes down to when you look at when you look at the receivers, it's funny because I said this the year that they they went out and got uh, John Ross, and the reason that I said it was because I knew that with Andrew Whitworth being up, they weren't going to resign him, especially since they they drafted Obwehi and Jake Fisher. And I remember telling people back then, uh, primarily my guy Moody, one of my Bengals friends. I told him, I was like, you know that this means that we're going to have Cedric O'Boyhe, like, starting at left tackle next year. Like, we're going to be horrible. Like, and at that moment, I think I was pushing for Cam Robinson or something like that. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you have, honestly. We could have three Jerry Rices on the field. If your offensive line can't block long enough to give guys time to make those breaks and gain separation, then – at the end of the day, you have what you have right now in the Cincinnati Bengals. But with that being said, thank you guys for coming through tonight. We're going to get ready to wrap up. Zim, thank you for coming through. Uh, we're going to come back to you guys possibly on Thursday um, and see and see what we got. We'll be looking ahead to the Jacksonville Jaguars game. But this has been the Orange is the New Black Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Who day? Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts.